Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. ago we had the opportunity to uh, take our grandkids to the National Zoo. We uh, drove Jonathan and Mariah's second car up to D.C. and ended up spending about three or four days there with them and then we flew home and one of the things we did while we were there was we uh, went to the National Zoo and I didn't know this about the National Zoo but the National Zoo is actually primarily for uh, endangered species and uh, that's why the pandas are there. Uh, they're an endangered species. And we saw lots of cool animals that you hardly ever would see at any zoo because it was all about endangered species. That's what I'm going to talk about today, an endangered species, so to say. It's hope. Uh, hope is in short supply these days. I mean, Uh, Lots of people, Christians, non-Christians, have talked about how there really and truly were two pandemics. There was COVID, but there was also this other pandemic of hopelessness. People were so discouraged and they feel so much despair. It's like that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel was just getting further and further and further away. And uh, you know what that's interesting, even though I firmly believe COVID's behind us, the de- de- their epidemic is still here. People are still depressed. People are still discouraged. People, people are still distraught. And we're not just talking about people out there, we're talking about people here. I mean, most of us still feel like we're carrying a weight and and there's a, a, a hopelessness that is just really, really weighing us down for one reason or another. But here's the truth. Those of us who are God's people, those of us who are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can have hope. That God, God, well, let me just put it on the screen here for you. God calls us, but he has provided for us a deep-rooted hope, an inner confidence that come what may, our security is in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not not talking about just some blind optimism, some spirit-sprinkled spirituality that, you know, quite frankly, is just a departure from reality. We've all seen that, and we're like, that doesn't last. That's not what Jesus Christ died to give us, to be honest. You know what Jesus Christ died to give us? This. Because of the hope of Jesus that, that Jesus has provided, nothing scares us to death. Nothing scares us to death. We, we only need to fear one thing, and that is God, the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of, the wis- of wisdom. Truth of the matter, there isn't any situation here on earth for the child of God 
that we need to be afraid of. Now, we are afraid. We'll talk about that. But the truth of the matter is because Jesus Christ provided us access to heaven because Jesus Christ took care of the biggest issue in your life and the biggest issue in my life, and that is our sin that has separated us from God. Everything else, in comparison, is a piece of cake. I'm going to acknowledge, it doesn't seem like a big piece of cake. It seems like Mount Everest and then some. But the truth of the matter, as a believer who is trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has provided us with a hope, with an inner peace, with an inner confidence, and it's true. Nothing scares us to death. Not a broken relationship, not a wayward kid, not bankruptcy, not a huge failure not even putting something big out on Facebook and nobody likes it. Nothing scares us to death. Nothing needs scare us to death. That's the kind of hope that God has offered to us. And so what I want to do is uh, talk about that hope today. Now, here's the deal. I just want, to, want you just to think. Don't write these down, but we're not going to take the time to go look at them, okay? But let me just tell you three just real common illustrations in Scripture. In Jeremiah 29, we will, we would, if we went there, we would read Jeremiah's letter that he sent to the exiles, in Babylon, and you're like, okay, now what was this about? Okay, about 600 years before Jesus Christ, Israel was captured, and thousands of people were taken as POWs to Babylon. It was the discipline of God upon their lives. Israel, for, for hundreds of years, had disobeyed God, and God finally removed them from the land temporarily for 70 years, And Jeremiah wrote them a letter and said, here's the deal, folks. And there's a real famous verse in there. You've probably heard it. Probably many of you have memorized it. In the middle of that letter, in verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, he said, for I know, he's quoting God, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for welfare not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Can you imagine being a POW, basically in their minds, on the other side of the earth, and you get a personal letter from the most significant spiritual leader on the face of the earth at that time, Jeremiah, and he said, let me just tell you what God says. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Your life looks like a wreck right now, but I know the plans I have for you. It's a plans for a future and a hope. That's the first illustration I want you to think about. John 14. I love this passage. John 14. Jesus had 
all of his disciples gathered around the, the, the table, and it was the Last Supper. He'd already kicked Judas out of the room because Judas was going to betray him. So it literally was just the 11 very faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, everyone knew things were going horribly wrong that week, you know, politically speaking. And Jesus then dropped a bombshell on him and said, I'm leaving. And, and they didn't fully understand that. You're leaving? I mean, we've gone through all of this, and now you're leaving? You're going to get out of Dodge while the getting's good? What in the world does that mean? That's where it is. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said this, and I, I have to quote it in the King James because that's how I learned it you know, a million years ago. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas went, uh, Lord, I, how do we get there? And Je Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father. That's the hope that Jesus gave to them. Trust in me, and the rest is going to take care of itself. One more illustration. I love this one, too. Luke 24. If you haven't read it sometime, go back and read it. Second half of the chapter. The first half of the chapter tells about Jesus rising from the dead. And then it tells about two people, and they're walking from Jerusalem down to Emmaus. And they are discouraged people. They were followers of Jesus Christ. They were disciples of Jesus Christ. And here it was on Friday of the big celebration, Jesus got crucified. He got executed. And they didn't understand why or how or anything. And they're leaving Jerusalem to go back home to a little town called Emmaus, and they're walking along. And this is what is so cool about it. Jesus joins them as they walk. And you say, well, that ought to cheer them up. Here's the deal, if you remember the passage. They didn't know it was Jesus. It's like God miraculously blinded them so that they didn't recognize Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He talked to them and just explained the truth of Scripture. It was as if Richard Hornock was walking with them and explained the truth of Scripture, or you were walking with them and you explained the truth of Scripture. It wasn't, it wasn't the second person of the Trinity. It wasn't the Son of God. It wasn't Jesus in their mind. It was, but it, they didn't know that. They just thought it was some guy that was going in the same direction as they were. And he gave them the hope through the Scriptures. And at the end of the story, God finally let their eyes be open. And they're like, Shazams, that's Jesus. And then he disappears. But as they're reflecting on it, they said, you know, as he told us all that stuff, man, 
our hearts were warmed. I think if they would use the word that I'm using today, they would have said, man, this life of despair, all of this, I, I felt real hope. Even in the midst of these dire circumstances. That's what we're talking about today. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. As God's people, we should have hope. I acknowledge we don't always have it. We're still in the flesh. We still are subject to finite thinking. But we should have hope. And you might say, well, why? Why should we have hope? Here's the reason. Because God is good, because God is faithful, and God is sovereign. I mean, we could talk about more than that, but those are three enough right there. God is good, God is faithful, and God is sovereign. Now, I'm going to give you a ton of Bible verses, but we're not going to take the time to do it because we don't want to stay here. Well, we might want to stay here, but we're not going to stay here till 6 o'clock tonight, okay? But I would encourage you to write these down, or maybe just take a picture of the screen if you're not into taking notes. Let me just give you some verses on the goodness of God. Psalm 145. You know what Psalm 145 says? The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies or over all his works. That's the God you have. That's the God I have. Psalm 34, particularly verse 8 and verse 18, but the whole psalm is so good. you know what it says? It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise is always going to be on my lips. Glorify the Lord with me. Come on, let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my troubles. Those who look to him, they're radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, he called and the Lord delivered him out of all his troubles. Taste and see. This is verse 8, by the way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord. You, his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Come, my children, listen to me. If you desire to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cries. The Lord, this is verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, we memorized Psalm 34 about 20-some years ago, and I'll bet I've quoted it to myself a hundred times, if not more, because there are so many times when life is just like, ugh, And I have to remind myself that God is good. Nahum 1.7, 
What did Nahum say? Oh, yes, the Lord is good. He knows those who trust in him. God's good. God's faithful. I only gave you one verse on that. But it's, boy, an incredible verse. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Jeremiah wrote that. Jeremiah had just witnessed the absolute destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, can you imagine being in Washington, D.C., and you crossed the Potomac, and you went up there where to Arlington Cemetery. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful place. There's kind of a sloping hill where you can be up in the cemetery looking out, and you see the Lincoln Memorial, you see the Washington Monument, and beyond that you see the U.S. Capitol. And it's like you see Washington, D.C. Can you imagine sitting up there, and the Lincoln's gone, the Washington's gone, and the Capitol is demolished? That's what Jeremiah was looking at. He was sitting on the Mount of Olives and looking at Jerusalem. The temple was gone, the city was gone, smoke was billowing up, and he wrote the book of Lamentations. But smack dab in the middle of that book, Lamentations, he wrote, His mercies are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. That hope that Jeremiah had wasn't in that temple, wasn't in that fortress, wasn't in those walls that got destroyed that would take another 200 years to get rebuilt. His hope was in the Lord. That's where your hope needs to be. That's where my hope needs to be. Gave you a lot of verses up there. Time's not even going to let me go quote them all but write those down Colossians 1 16 and 17 you know what that says all things and I think when the Bible says all things it means all things all things were created by him and they are for him and without him nothing was made that was made in other words God is in complete control he designed all of this thing all of it is his. Ephesians 1. His works, he works all things after the counsel of his will. God's in complete and total control. Complete and total control. How in the world that works, we don't know. It's way above our pay grade. Instead, we're supposed to think like James 4. We say, We've got our plans, but if the Lord wills, that's what we're going to do. Romans 8, 28. I think Josh prayed this when we were praying for Jennifer. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. You know what all of this is saying? It's saying we can have hope because God is good, he's faithful, and he's sovereign. He's good, he's faithful, and he's sovereign. Here's the deal. 
as God's people who have hope, should have hope, have access to that hope, we need to impart that hope. I mean, when a person comes here, they should feel that hope. When a person connects with you, they should feel that hope. We, we've been talking for the last several weeks about what, what vibe we want to give off as a church. Well, one of those vibes is that we want to impart hope to people. We want people to feel hopeful. Remember, I talked about these pandemics, that other pandemic, that discouragement, that despair, that whatever. I mean, I think God has called us to people that are so familiar with his goodness, so familiar with his faithfulness, so familiar with his sovereignty, that we're like, yeah, it's a mess out there. But it's not a mess in here. There is a confidence. And some spirit-sprinkled spirituality, not some blind optimism. There is a deep-seated conviction that says, my security is in Jesus Christ. And as horrible as that is, Nothing needs scare me to death. Whether it's broken relationship, horrible health, bankruptcy, loss of a job, wayward kid, wayward grandkid, horrible circumstances that arise just out of the blue. I mean... I'm not minimizing. Those things are tough. And in this life, because we're still in the flesh, we're going to struggle to really get a handle on them. But we're going to say, my hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price for all my sins on Calvary. We need to have that kind of hope. You know, I'll just be honest. Uh, Earlier this week, you know, I always wake up early, always do. It's just, I think I got it from my dad. And uh, uh, rarely do I sleep late, and uh, uh, I just wake up early. But sometimes I wake up extra early, and the reason I do is because I just start thinking about all that needs to be done, all the tasks that need to be done, and Sometimes, because a lot of these tasks are doing this number, and it's like we're fixing to go off a cliff in this area or that. I mean, there is it's one of the reasons I'm awake and I'm really awake is because, like, there is this inner panic that, oh my goodness, I do not need to deal with that. that we, we cannot crash that way. And, and I'm nervous. And when that happens, that's when I finally get out of bed because I'm like, I know I ain't going back to sleep. And, you know, that happened actually just a week ago. And I was thinking about a whole bunch of stuff. And I, you know, they're, they're, you know the, the inner panic was getting there, and I could feel it in my gut. And uh, uh, I was getting angry. 
Because, I mean, shoot, I just turned 65. 65, I mean, isn't that the golden years when, you know, you just sit back and you only button your shirt up to about here and you sit on the beach? And I'm like, I'm not supposed to have to be dealing with this kind of garbage at 65. And I was thinking about that, thinking about that. And fortunately, I'd gotten out of bed, and I went to the place where I usually always read my Bible. It's a recliner out in our living room. And I got on my knees, and I thought, wait a minute. And literally, this was my prayer. God, you are good. You are faithful. You're, in so- you're sovereign. And honestly, I said, I, 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 I gave that all to God. And there was such a peace. There was such an encouragement. And I'm like, this isn't mine. This is God's. I don't need to be scared of that. I don't need to be irritated about that. That ain't my problem. That's God's problem. All I got to do is figure out what God wants me to do. He's already figured out how he's going to handle it or not handle it. I just need to enjoy the ride and be faithful to him. And there was, there was such incredible hope that I experienced just in those moments. I still stayed up, read, but that's what I'm talking about. It's like you and I, we need to discipline our minds enough that we're saying, my hope is in the Lord. And I need to be imparting that to others. That's, I mean, remember that, that illustration I used? Jeremiah 29. It was Jeremiah telling them what God had said. Jeremiah was the conduit for God to give those POWs hope. Remember the Luke 24 Yeah, it was Jesus doing all the talking, but they didn't know that. They just thought it was some other guy that, boy, he he really has a good perspective on all these circumstances we've just gone through over the weekend. Jesus dying, all that stuff. Jesus, incognito, was the conduit to give those people hope. You know what? You're the conduit. You need to experience that hope. And that right there is a spiritual battle because Satan does not want you to feel it. Satan wants me to get out of bed and stay angry, stay frustrated, stay discouraged, and then make Vicky discouraged when she wakes up. You know, and maybe call a few of my kids and see if I can ruin their days too. You know, come into the office and see if I can tone Andy down a little bit too, you know? I mean... Be an evangelist for discouragement. That's what Satan wants for me. That's what he wants for you. But God says, I have provided for you. I have a future and a hope. So let me give you two hows. How do you do that? And I've already hit one of them really hard. You got to model it. You, you, you should fill that hope. And now, yes, we're still in the flesh. Yes, we still have that old sin nature. Yes, we still have life, and and we don't know all the answers, but God knows them all, and He hadn't told them all, told us all. So we're struggling with it. 
But that modeling of hope, and I think even modeling the, the being honest about the, the and transparent about the struggle. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with that, but boy, I'm really seeking to hang on to God's goodness and His faithfulness and His sovereignty. That's what we need to be modeling. You know, it's interesting. I I, I saw a great testimony this last week. You cowboy fans, remember Dave Wanstat? Dave Wanstat was the defensive coordinator back when we won the, for the Cowboys, back when we won a Super Bowl during the 90s. Before that, he was the defensive coordinator for the Miami Hurricanes when Jimmy Johnson won a national championship. And then Jimmy took him and brought him to the Cowboys, and then they won a Super Bowl. So he won a national championship in college as a defensive coordinator, and then he won a, national, a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator, and that paralleled him to, into you know, becoming the head coach of the Bears for a while, and then he you know, had lots of coaching jobs and all that good stuff. You know, very successful coach. A lot of people know who he is. He told the story. They won the national championship with the Miami Hurricanes. And he and several of the other coaches are sitting out on the beach, drinking, talking about life, and one by one, they all drifted off and went back to their hotel. And about five in the morning, he was the last one there. And he saw the sunrise coming up. And because he was all by himself, he sat and he thought, you know, about life. And he realized he was empty as could be. He was empty as could be. And he thought, man, I have just won a national championship. I got the world by the tail. Rumors are that the new owner of the Cowboys is going to grab our coach, and he might drag me to the Cowboys too. This could be good. But he was just depressed and discouraged. And you know what is so interesting? He started thinking about who he could talk to. And the Miami Hurricanes had a chaplain that would come in and do a little devotional before the team. And he'd sit in there, but he wouldn't listen. He said, I couldn't tell you anything the guy said, but he was drawn to that guy. You know why? Because that guy had an inner peace. That guy had a confidence. That guy had an anchor in his soul. And even though he was the tough defensive lineman, you know, because he had played defensive tackle in college, so he was a huge man himself, and here's this little scrawny-looking preacher that was getting to come in and talk to the college football team before a game, he realized that guy has something I don't have. And after all the celebrations calmed down, a few weeks later, he asked if he could meet with the little wimpy preacher. And the guy explained to him about Jesus Christ. But what was it that drew him to him in the first place? It wasn't incredible sermons. It wasn't anything he, the guy ever said. It was just his testimony of inner peace. You know what? People are watching you. People are watching me. This modeling thing... You know, it's kind of easy to just blow it off and say, that's not that big of a deal. Truth of the matter, it is a huge deal. Because most people 
believers and unbelievers alike, unfortunately. They're feeling the discouragement and the despair. And when you have centered yourself in Jesus Christ because you are focusing on His goodness, His faithfulness, His sovereignty, the fact that He's got it all together, even though you don't have it all together, and because He's taking care of it, you, you, yeah, you're concerned about this, you've got, you got your own responsibility, you've got to take care of, but in reality, the bottom line is nothing's scaring me to death because I know Jesus is going to get me through this His way. We might crash and burn, but that's because that's what Jesus wants us to do. But I'm with him. There's people watching you. There's people watching me. And they're seeing how we're handling it. I mean, this is, this is a great opportunity. And that's why I think Satan is working so hard to keep us on pins and needles and keep us just, you know, way out. Here's the other one. You got to preach it. Just write down two passages for me, okay? Romans 10 starts at about verse 13. I think I actually got it marked, so maybe I can read it here real quick. Yeah, right here. Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then are they going to call upon him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Sometimes you need to be that preacher. The preacher, there's more than two preachers in the room today. Not just me and Andy. All of you are preachers. If you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, God has called you to be one of those. Here's the other verse I want you to write down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. We always kind of think of this as a verse that, you know, is all about apologetics, defending the faith, and it is. But first and foremost, kind of the entry is this. It's sharing with people about the hope we have. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And you do it with gentleness and reverence. I mean, you may not be able to explain the ins and outs and intricacies of the apologetics. But boy, if you've got that hope, you can say, I, I can have confidence in this horrible situation because God's good. God's faithful. God's sovereign. That is our mission. That is what God has given us the privilege of imparting. Do you have that hope? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, Jesus has provided that hope for you. And, and Satan is doing everything he can from keeping you to understand it, to feel it, and to act on it.
It's a spiritual battle. But God wants you to have that hope. He loves you so much. He does not want you to be panicked. He does not want you to to be irritated. He certainly doesn't want you to get angry over the unknowns. He wants you to walk away from catastrophe and say, my hope's in the Lord. My hope's in the Lord. I don't know how he's going to work this out. It's going to be fun to watch. But my hope's in the Lord. That's what God wants for you. It's what he wants for me. Let's pray, okay? Father, I pray that today you would help us to be people that not only know about that hope, we are people that have that hope. Father, I pray that today we would be people who would declare well your goodness, your faithfulness, your sovereignty. Father, not in some pseudo-spiritual, departed-from-reality manner that, that doesn't see the depths of pain or the intensity of problems. Father, we want to look at life real. We want to look at it realistically. But we want to look at it like you look at it because you've got it. We're not scared because we're calloused or anything else. We're not scared because our hope's in you. If you would just look at the screens here. I want to read to you a great poem. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That should be true of us. That should be true of us. There's another poem that I just love. And I'm going to ask you to sing this one with me. It's old, really old. But I just want you to sing it with me very prayerfully. I hope you know it. My hope is in the Lord Who gave himself for me 
and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives no merit of my own his anger to suppress my only hope is found in jesus righteousness for me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting light and light he freely gives. And now for me he stands before the Father's throne, he shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. Father, I pray that today we would manifest that hope that you have given to us, that you have provided for us through Jesus Christ. Father, we're all facing some really big things, stressful things. But Father, I pray that in the midst of those things, you would provide us with that hope that you've got it. We don't need to figure out how to fix it. We just need to figure out how you want us to fix it, how you want us to respond to it. Uh, Father, I pray that the hope that is in us would shine so brightly that people would ask us, why we're approaching life that way. And I pray, Father, that we would be prepared to talk about your goodness, your faithfulness, and your complete and total sovereignty. We thank you for that, Father. Dismiss us now with your blessing, Father. Give us a wonderful afternoon with family, friends, relaxing. And, Father, a very productive week serving you out in the various places you've put us. For it's in Christ's name we pray today. Amen. Hey, God bless. Thank you so much.